Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I am the editor of The Pitch, Brock Wilbur, and your host for this show. How is everybody doing out there where it is very, very hot? My God, is it hot. I just bought a lawnmower trying to mow my yard for the first time. I'm doing it in shifts. Uh, That's where you're catching me now is uh, slightly out of breath uh, between rounds of uh, just flop sweating uh, through the yard Uh, and also being terrified that I'm going to run over a rabbit. Uh, Not that we have any shortage of rabbits. Uh, They have taken over the entirety of my neighborhood. They are no longer scared of people, which can't be good. Uh, It... uh, it's uh, slightly upsetting to uh, to have nothing run away from you. Uh, they, they don't care. They outnumber me. Uh, I, I do not pose a threat to them. Um, this has been a fascinating time to be out in the world. Uh, this week, uh, I, I've gotten to see... Did anyone else forget how to drive uh, while you were stuck inside for a couple of months? I, I, to, to be honest, there, there was a period there for a day or so where I was like, oh, I, I feel like I'm braking too hard or not braking hard enough. It's just had sort of lost the, the general like muscle memory uh, for how it all worked. And apparently everyone else has too, because uh, early on in this, uh, there was a big problem with uh, people speeding, like going Mad Max speeds. People were getting pulled over for going like 110, 120. I'm like, who even has a car that does that? Just because they were like trying to outrun the virus, I guess, in their cars. Or it was just that there was nobody on the road, so they just didn't care or yeah, I, I don't know what it was, but everyone just started driving like maniacs. And now that people are sort of back into the swing of things, uh, our, our car wrecks, uh, our numbers are just astronomical. Like in the last month, we've done uh, something like 200% more than we did in the, that month last year, like just out of control uh, car crash numbers. Uh, and I was wondering like, well, what's, what is, why is that, is everyone forgetting? And yes, everyone, everyone forgot how to drive because a thing that I saw no less than five times this week, uh, was somebody, uh, in, in, on a three lane road or more, uh, deciding that they were just going to make a right turn from the middle lane, just in front of somebody, no turn signal, no, no, like a gesture that like, Hey, maybe I'm coming this way. Just like, Nope, just turning in. Got to see at least one accident from that. Uh, one was almost me as, as I sat there uh, shouting furiously with my windows rolled up so no one heard my anger. Uh, I was also uh, in part of a uh, high-speed chase uh, where uh, the, uh, the criminal's car uh, was headed directly at me uh, in, the ro- in the wrong lane for them. Uh, and that was a delight. The, uh, the tires had been uh, already speed-sticked, uh, so... Uh, both tires on the driver's side were completely gone. Uh, just a car going 30 miles per hour on the rims, just sparks flying everywhere in the wrong lane of traffic. Just a real fun, normal time uh, for everybody. Just, uh, you, you love to see it. Uh, anyway, uh, this week we've got a really fun show. Uh, we have, as usual, uh, Nick's Music Corner. Um, I have an interview with Cynthia Fales, who is a local children's book author, but also a lot more than that. Uh, and just a, a really fascinating person to talk to. But first up, Jason Klom is going to read a story from our most recent magazine. What KC's been watching. Members of Kansas City's film community discuss their favorite streaming and virtual cinema viewing options. By Abby Olchesi and the Film Group. It's no secret that the film community, particularly folks involved in independently owned theaters, festivals, and filmmaking, have had a rough go of it these last few months. Long-planned screenings have been postponed. Beloved movie houses have shut their doors and are finding new ways to keep up revenue so those doors can open back up. 
Studios holding off on releasing new films have exacerbated the situation, even as theater owners and programmers consider the process of opening back up. If you want to support Kansas City's film community, there are plenty of ways to do your part. Several theaters, including Screenland, Glenwood Arts, Liberty Hall, and Alamo Drafthouse, have virtual screening rooms, where viewers can pay to watch a first-run film, and their theater of choice gets a share of the profits. Screenland and Glenwood Arts are both running fundraising campaigns. KC Underground Cinema Stray Cat Film Center offers a monthly membership option, in addition to an ongoing Twitch stream featuring live-watch movie nights. We at The Pitch love watching movies. We also love our local film community. So, as Kansas Cityans continue watching films from home while phasing back into public social interaction, we reached out to get recommendations from some of our favorite area film folks, as well as pitch contributors. Whether you're looking for ways to support local theaters or just need something to stream tonight, we're here for you. Abby Olchesi, The Pitch. Extraordinary. Available via Screenland and Liberty Hall's digital screening rooms. Extraordinary managed a brief theatrical run before theaters closed, but this endearingly shaggy Irish horror comedy still deserves all the attention it can get. It's about a driving instructor, Rose, Maeve Higgins, who can speak with ghosts. Rose is hired by widower Martin, Barry Ward, to exorcise the spirit of his dead wife. Meanwhile, local rock star Christian Winter, Will Forte, makes a demonic pact to revive his career, requiring a virgin sacrifice. Winter has his eye on using Martin's daughter. If you're a fan of UK cult comedy like Dark Place or Look Around You, this is the movie for you. Jupiter Ascending, Netflix. The Wachowski sisters' space opera flopped upon release, and there are some out there who consider it a bad movie. These people are wrong. Jupiter Ascending is wildly inventive and sees the Wachowskis building a sci-fi universe all their own. Think The Matrix crossed with Cloud Atlas. Granted, not all of their ideas work, and the performances aren't all on the same level. Eddie Redmayne is on another plane of existence. However, it's still an engrossing story with memorable characters, and it looks gorgeous. Jupiter Ascending is pure escapism, and right now, some of us need that. Police Story and Police Story 2, Criterion Channel. One of the best choices I've made during isolation was stir-frying some noodles, grabbing a beer, and watching Jackie Chan's Police Story. Hong Kong action movies are massively fun to watch, and Chan's first two Police Story movies are classics of the genre, with stunts inspired by martial arts as much as Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Police Story 2 ups the ante significantly from the first entry, no mean feat, with even crazier stunts, a fabulous soundtrack, and an unforgettable explosive finale. Jonah Denu, The Pitch. The Infiltrators, available via Screenland's digital screening room. Isn't it great when a documentary pisses you off? I don't mean frustratingly bad, but incredibly effective at showcasing injustice. The Infiltrators is a hybrid documentary that will captivate, inspire, and get you ready to raise hell at a major problem in our country. Based on the true story of undocumented dreamers getting themselves thrown into a for-profit detainment center on purpose, the film mixes narrative with interviews and videos, creating a unique film that invokes all of your emotions. Jackass 3, Hulu. When the world is falling apart, sometimes the best thing to do is sit back, relax, and turn your brain off. There's no better film to do this with than Jackass 3, the best jackass of them all. Don't fret about things out of your control, just laugh at stupid people doing stupid things. If you want to get analytical, you can dissect the themes of aging masculinity from the MTV generation, or you can just mindlessly giggle at Johnny Knoxville getting rammed by a buffalo. Taste of Cherry, Criterion Channel. Taste of Cherry is a Boss Kiarostami's masterpiece. The film's subject matter may seem bleak. A man drives around for someone who will bury him under a tree after he commits suicide. However, Taste of Cherry is a thoughtful celebration of life. 
With each passenger the driver picks up, a new life philosophy is explored, some being more relevant now than ever before. Taste of Cherry is the first Iranian film to win the Palme d'Or, and has an ending unlike any other. Adam Roberts, co-owner, Screenland Theatres. The King of Staten Island. I'm picking something I'm excited to see that comes out in June, even though it will likely not be on Screenland's virtual screening room. The King of Staten Island was meant to play at South by Southwest, and is the latest film from director Judd Apatow, Knocked Up, The Forty-Year-Old Virgin. It stars Pete Davidson, who also co-wrote the film, playing a fictional version of himself. The Beastie Boys Story, Apple TV+. The Beastie Boys Story is a documentary directed by Spike Jones, chronicling the group's story from their teenage punk years up to the death of MCA, Adam Yauch. It's a larger-than-life story that plays like a greatest hits version of the Beastie Boys book, one of my all-time favorite autobiographies. It's light, fun, and might make you appreciate this band even if you're not a fan. One Cut of the Dead, Shudder. One of the most inspiring and purely joyful films I've seen in the last year is One Cut of the Dead, which played Panic Fest 2019 to huge success. The film works best when the audience knows nothing going into it. I promise you, it's not scary. It must be seen to be believed. Willie Evans, Kansas City Underground Film Festival. Driveways. Available via Glenwood Arts Digital Screening Room. From director Andrew Ahn, Driveways is an absolutely delightful little movie. Unfortunately, it hasn't found much of an audience after its very successful festival run in 2019. The movie tells the story of a young boy named Cody as he travels with his mom to clean up the house left to them by his aunt, a reclusive hoarder. A stressful and painful trip soon turns into a heartwarming story as Cody develops a friendship with the elderly war veteran who lives next door. It's predictable and a bit simple, but sometimes you need a movie that feels like a hug. Driveways scratches that itch. The Core, Netflix. If you're anything like me, there are multiple times a week where the dread becomes overwhelming and you can't bring yourself to focus on anything. In those moments, throw on the core. I vaguely remembered this movie bombing when it came out, but when I watched it a few weeks ago, I discovered it's a gigantic, messy treat. Aaron Eckhart, Hilary Swank, and Stanley Tucci lead a team of scientists as they drill to the center of the Earth to set off a series of nuclear bombs. It doesn't make any more sense in context. At one point, they get out of the ship in the middle of the Earth's mantle. The Core is absolutely a must-watch good-bad movie. It felt like love. Canopy, Criterion Channel. The world is finally realizing that Eliza Hittman is among the greatest contemporary American directors. Her newest film, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, also available to stream, walked away with awards from both the Sundance and Berlin Film Festivals, but for me, It Felt Like Love is still her best work. The story of a melancholic teen girl trying to understand love and sex it felt like love relies entirely on its main character to express the agonizing process of sexual awakening and exploration. This is an uncomfortable movie, but it's so lovingly crafted and beautifully acted that you have no choice but to be completely enveloped in the sun-drenched world of South Brooklyn in the summer. Carrie Bingham Gutierrez, Kansas City Underground Film Festival. St. Francis. Available via Screenland's virtual screening room. 34-year-old Bridget, Kelly O'Sullivan, who also wrote the script, is struggling to find her purpose in life. The audience sees her take on a job as a nanny to six-year-old Frances, who is an absolute delight on screen, and detach herself from her feelings after having an abortion. You'll see similarities to Frances Ha, Tully, and Obvious Child here. This film has so much heart and authenticity that it made it a five-star watch for me. Paddleton, Netflix. Two friends, Ray Romano and Mark Duplass, journey together to buy life-ending drugs after one of them is diagnosed with terminal cancer. It's a sad buddy movie. 
I'm a huge fan of Duplass, but Romano is a standout star and deserves so much more recognition for this role. You know this film will inevitably be a downer, so go ahead and have a good, cathartic cry with Paddleton. A girl walks home alone at night. Canopy. Four words. Iranian. Vampire. Western. Horror. Are you sold yet? I should add that the vampire is a badass skateboarder who hunts and kills bad men. This black-and-white film, written and directed by Anna Lily Amarpour, is the gorgeous feminist vampire flick we all need in our lives right now. Brock Wilbur, The Pitch, Blood Quantum, available via Shutter and Amazon. Each year, Panic Fest strikes the Screenland theaters and brings me a wave of fantastic movies from across the world that strikes terror into my tiny little heart and makes me thankful to be alive. Last year, Starfish showed me what it would be like if Silent Hill and 13 Reasons Why had a baby. You should watch that one. It's a delight. This year's lineup was incredible, and you should get a pass to next January's event as soon as possible. But the highlight for me was a film I've been waiting to see for nearly a year, Blood Quantum. It's a zombie movie made by an indigenous director and featuring only indigenous actors, revolving around a story that only an indigenous storyteller would bring to the table. It begins as an early John Carpenter joint and very quickly evolves into a bit of political horror on par with what we celebrate from Jordan Peele. Spoiler white Americans find themselves on the other side of the immigration issues they're accustomed to. Thank you, Jason. And now, it's time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Despite having been around for most of the last decade, the Harrisonics, a self-described sparkling power-pop trio from Lawrence, hadn't yet recorded any tunes you could listen to outside of their live performances. That all changed with this week's release of Love Songs for All Occasions, the band's debut release and LP. The band features John Harrison, formerly of the Wilmas and the What Gives, on vocals and guitar, Brian Anderson, also of Lawrence Roots Rocker's Lazy Waters, on bass and background vocals, and Brett Dillingham of the Shebangs on drums. If you like Yola Tango, 45 RPM singles, and dancing after enjoying reasonably priced adult beverages, this is up your alley. You can snag love songs for all occasions on the group's Bandcamp, which is at harrisonics.bandcamp.com, where the band has CDs and vinyl in addition to the digital version. Take a listen to the album's second track, The Pithy Trailer Court Goth Girls. God save the trailer court goth girls. God save the trailer court
interview with Cynthia Fales, a local children's book author, book publisher, podcast host, just just everything. Here, here, take a listen. Cynthia, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Brock? Eh, fine-ish, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> where, where do we put these things on the scale anymore? Um, right. Would you introduce yourself to the audience and tell them what you do? So my name is Cynthia Fales. I am the founder of Launch Crate Publishing. Which, let's uh, which just start is... by saying that you have the best name in the world. Like, if I was going to name a <laughs> YA protagonist after so it was Cynthia Fails, so perfect. Awesome. <laughs> you are you are you the know... perfect teenage girl that like comes into her own and like definitely has a superpower <laughs> and flourishes. Right? You know, it was it's funny because um, you know when women get married, people ask them whether or not they're going to hyphenate their name, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't think that's an option for me because. <laughs> Then I become a complete sentence, and I don't think I want that. So, <laughs> uh, it's Brock Wilbur and Vivian Kane in our marriage, and uh, both of us just sound like the stars of a 1940s detective noir film. Uh, so we were both like, it. neither of us need to change. But also, like Brock Kane just sounds like too much of a wrestler name. Uh, and so Viv hyphenated her middle name, uh, so mm-hmm. she is a uh, Kathleen Wilbur. Kane. So it's still Vivian Kane everywhere, but like uh, she got one in there and I was like, oh, it was a wonderful like uh, birthday gift. Uh, like and that's it. how we did it. <laughs> that's awesome. So is this like a Technicolor film or black and white? I'm just curious that you all are starring in. <laughs> it, it, in my head, it's it's very Laura Bow. It's very black and white. Right before <laughs> Technicolor comes out, like we're, we're, we're the last ones to go color on this. So tell me about what you do. <laughs> So um, I run Launch Crate Publishing, which is um, a publishing company, an independent publishing company that really seeks to uh, flip the publishing uh, world on end and make sure that creators are being properly um, credited and paid for the work that they are providing to the world at large. Um, So we offer both publishing services, so just about anything that you would need to create a book and self-publish it on your own. Um, but we also offer traditional publishing as well. So uh, for people that aren't in the know, what are the problems that are facing, you know, authors, publishers in this tradition? What, what are you flipping on its head? So what we're flipping is the uh, profit margin. So instead of the lion's share going to the publishing company, the lion's share is going to the creator. So the author and the illustrator. Um, and we're doing that so that they can come right out of the gate and start making a profit off of their book instead of having to sell enough copies of their book so that they can essentially buy back um, whatever advance they've had um, or received, if they've received an advance from a publishing company. Um, now, so, now, how did you figure this out? How did you do this in a way that other publishers can't? So instead of looking at um, the gross um Margins, we're looking at the net margins. And so we've done a 60-40 split of the net where 60 is going to um, the creator and then 40 is coming to the publishing company. And a lot of contracts that you see with folks, um, they're looking at essentially 10% 
is about average for um, 10 to 12 percent is about average for um, traditional publishing houses and their contracts with authors. Um, and it, as you start to look at the numbers and the profit margins and even the net profit margins, um, 10 percent or 10 to 12 percent versus receiving 60 percent of the net, there's usually like a dollar or more difference um, in favor of the author. Why did you choose to start this? Is there anything about Kansas City in particular, or was this just that you had the the ability to do so or saw this this gap in the market? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I am a big proponent of equity and um, just systems and the publishing industry <laughs> to me um, is much like the music industry and at least how the music industry had been. Uh, where it doesn't necessarily favor the creative geniuses and the work that they're putting in. I, uh, I assure so, you that that is still how it goes. It's still how it goes, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was um, a matter of seeing if I could find a way to create a ripple um, somewhere in in the body of water and then see how many additional ripples we could create from there. So uh, that's why we offer both the traditional publishing and the uh, publishing services so that we can teach other people how to do it, which is really my preference. Um, If I could teach a hundred people, 200 people to do this themselves, and then they teach a hundred or 200 people to do it, then we're creating more ripples. And that's how you start to create a change. So were you, were you involved in the publishing industry before this? Like, were, did you do like years of this and like get frustrated with how it worked? Or did you just like see this from the outside and go like, that's where I belong? So interestingly enough, I was an educator. Um, and so I've worked with kids in pre-K all the way up through um, college graduates and even graduate assistants. Um, but along the way, I... Um, left an organization where my values no longer align with their values and had to figure out what was next. And oddly enough, I ended up writing, illustrating, and publishing a children's book and um, did a lot of research in that time. This was in 2012. And during that time, thought I found a way to do it where I would still be able to maintain uh, the majority of uh, the profit as a self-published author, and it just was not happening <laughs> the way that I thought it was going to happen. And um, there was a service that I used that thousands of other books were sourced through, and I just knew at that the, moment. Uh, Amazon self-publishing? No, it wasn't. It was actually uh, Lulu.com. Oh, okay. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I just knew there had to be a better way to do it. And so it was my goal to see if I could figure out another way to do it. And uh, from 2012 through 20, actually 2013 through 2017, about this time, 2017, um, I was basically working at UMKC full time. And then at night, I was working on my books and publishing and illustrating my stuff and then helping other people figure out how to do uh, the same for themselves, and it just became too much. So I had to choose um, one or the other, and I chose to take a leap of faith. So tell me about your books. <laughs> my 
my books are interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, are. most, yeah, you know, most authors usually have one genre that they stick to. <laughs> I'm you, not that You and person. I are, are of the same thing where somebody's like, you should just pick a thing and then yeah. you have to do that or else you'll fail. And it's like, <laughs> but I, I would get think, bored doing one so. thing. Like, that's not, right. <laughs> uh, humanity contains multitudes. <laughs> Absolutely. There's room for everything, right? <laughs> Yeah. So so I started out writing um, children's books and um, I have a series called The Christmas Cookie. It's about a cookie that wakes up on a plate meant for Santa on Christmas Eve. So that was the first book that got me started. Um, I also have a series of books called uh, the Ella Books series, and those are based on lessons that I learned uh, watching my mom navigate through the world. So there's a superpower in each book. Um there are four of those published out of 10, so I'm working on the other six. Um, I've also published a, um, well, two middle grade books for the Secret World of Rain the Brain series about a young inventor um, who uses everyday objects from around the house to um, save the world from otherworldly beings. So there's that. <laughs> and then, you know, those all sound pretty similar, right? Uh, but well, along no, the way, like you're, like, <laughs> those are wildly Kinda. cool in different ways. But like, I, I see how you were by age range, like, lumping them by together, age range, like by genre. Jesus, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got the children's books. Right. And then um, I actually wrote a book about my grandfather's life. We call this the modern memoir. And it's really cool because. It has captured um, the stories that he's been telling our family for years about growing up in small town Missouri and then moving to Kansas City. And what was his small um, town? Dalton, Missouri. Dalton, gotcha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so he um, also went off and served in World War II, and you know he just covers all of these um, general life topics. And so what I've done is to take my audio recordings, which were initially meant to help me um, transcribe his stories. And we have um, added those to our website. And now we have QR codes embedded in the book so that you can scan them and then hear my grandfather recite the story to you instead of just reading his words. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. A, a thing that every year I, I think about in, in terms of like a project I want to take on, and I've thought this since I was in high school, is that I just want to like take a month out of every year and go to like a nearby elderly housing thing and just ask people like, tell me all your stories because yeah. every, every person that's lived to 80 or 90 has a million of the best stories in the world. They do. Uh, and uh, in, in keeping with your, like I, I did the recordings and they were mostly for me for later. Um, a couple of years back, we got a copy of Twas the Night Before Christmas, where on each page you would hit record and somebody would read it. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back later and flip to that page, the recording of that plays. Uh, and uh, we got it uh, just before Christmas. And then three of my four grandparents died in the next year and a half. Wow. Uh, so, like, they're all in the book now. That's uh, awesome. So that is... Um, it's very funny because also some of them, like, the eyesight was gone far enough that they were sort of fumbling the lines, and you can hear yeah. us laughing in the background. Not at them, but because it's just so fun, and, like, there's yeah. 
it uh it really captured this very specific moment and uh at the time i was like as eh, a sort of a goofy 20 dollar gift and now i'm like that is one of my most treasured possessions in the world it's because priceless, like, yeah, that's yeah. my connection to them so i i absolutely get what you were finding here that's that's wild <laughs> yeah so we actually have um, turned that into a service that we offer through LaunchCrate, through the publishing company, uh, because every time I did um, a vendor event and I demoed the book for people, they asked, you know, how can I do this for my family? And I right. hadn't thought about expanding it to a service like that, but now it's something that we offer. So that's fantastic. that's probably probably my favorite book out of all the books that I've written. Uh, but there are still two novels that... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't talked about. <laughs> Those are the tricky ones. Those are the tricky ones. So um, I wrote, you know, I used to tell people we've published everything except for a romance novel. And then last November, I wrote a romance novel just out of the blue. I thought I was, was writing. That just to be able to say like, no, we've done everything now. Like, no, <laughs> no interest in romance novels, but you're like, we should cover every base. <laughs> no, like I had no idea this book was coming. I had actually mapped out. Um, books three and four in the Secret World of Rain the Brain series. And my plan was to use uh, the National Novel Writing Month to write books three and four. So <laughs> that was the goal. And that's what I started on November So instead 1st. of doing some children's books, you wrote a romance novel. I wrote a romance You're novel. You're like, you know what, I, three and four, not right now. I've got a <laughs> Sorry. little hot under I got the this, collar for this other I got thing. this romance novel to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue where it came from. I never would have guessed that this book was in me, but it came out in 13 days. So wow, it it was ridiculous. (laughs) So you're also now one of the only people I know that actually finished National Novel Writing Month. (laughs) So yeah, you're you're just rubbing it in everyone's faces. Uh, Finally here, uh, what advice do you have to young authors? Uh, What would you say to people about starting their first book or book project and seeing it through to the end? Yeah, um, for young authors, definitely keep writing. Um, write stuff that you're interested in, um, write stuff that you're not interested in and (laughs) challenge yourself (laughs) to make it interesting. Find something interesting in it um, because that'll help you to finish. But definitely keep writing. Um, I look at the old stuff that I wrote. (laughs) I found a story from when I was in middle school that uh, we submitted to this publishing competition the story was horrible (laughs) it was horrible but I was writing and I had people that were encouraging me to do that so um find find people who are willing to uh champion the work that you're doing and um if you're young at heart and you're older and you're writing um start with the end in mind and work your way back and then fill in the blanks great advice Cynthia thank you so much for talking to us thanks Brock and that was Streetwise for this week. Thank you guys so much. I hope everybody had a good uh, holiday break. Uh, have a wonderful summer. I'll see you out there in the park. Uh, if you are interested in supporting The Pitch, please come to thepitchkc.com. Uh, we have great, great stories going up there every single day. Feel free to toss a couple of bucks our way if you want. Uh, the new issue of the magazine is on stands now out in the city. But if you don't feel like venturing out into the world to get one, we put the whole thing up online. Uh, you can find it on the right side of our website. Uh, and uh, yeah, just click on the, uh, the picture of the magazine and you can read it right there. Uh, I've been Brock Wilbur. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Please subscribe and rate us. And um, pitch in. We'll get through. Thank you so much. Thank you.